Thank you for downloading this podcast from the Traverse Theatre, Edinburgh. We now join the theatre's literary officer and your host, Jennifer Williams. Hello, and welcome to another edition of our ongoing series of Travcast interviews with playwrights, in which we talk with playwrights about their current work and also explore some of their thoughts about the art of playwriting and the part it plays in their lives. Catherine Grosvenor is here with us today, and Catherine is an Edinburgh-based playwright and translator. Her plays include One Day All This Will Come to Nothing and Cherry Blossom for us at the Traverse, Gabriel for Orrin Moore's Play Pie in a Pint program. She's translated a number of plays from Polish, including This Pole Walks Into a Bar for the Royal Court and Our Class for the National Theatre, and you had a translation of The Overcoat on in the festival, I, I believe. Um, Catherine works closely with our head of learning here, Noelle O'Donoghue, on things like the Traverses Class Act program, which works with young people in schools. And she also teaches the Traverses writing group for 14 to 17 year olds, which is called Scribble. So, Catherine, I'm just going to ask you lots of questions. Okay, now. great. Go <laughs> Thank it. you so much for joining us. Um, I've read in... Uh, your Wikipedia <laughs> entry that your passion for languages began with the films of Krzysztof Kieslowski. Yeah, that's and right. I thought that was very exciting because I like his films too. Uh-huh. Um, and you went on to study German and Polish at Cambridge. I was mm-hmm. wondering if you could tell us a bit more about your interest in languages and that sort of connection you felt with those films and if they continue to be a source of inspiration. Yeah. Mm. I think languages was just something I was always quite good at. Mm. And I come from this family where um, quite a lot of us speak French. Um, like my, my aunt was a, a French secretary in Paris uh, just after in the, in the 40s, 50s. Uh-huh. Um, <clears throat> and I sort of come from this family where we, we do a lot of accents and silly voices and pretend to, we've always pretended to be people from different countries <laughs> to the total bemusement of a lot of other people um so I think I sort of grew up very much in this in this sort of world of people speaking bad French to each other and and finding it funny or pretending to be Icelandic or uh stuff like that um so it's always been something I've been surrounded by and then yeah Kieslowski I got into when I was this sort of 15 year old 16 year old hanging out at the film house all the time um and watching quite a lot of European cinema and I remember going to see La N when I was really sort of yeah I think 15 16 years old and just being blown away by it because I thought there was a there's a a style that style of filmmaking which is maybe more of an artistic statement than a than a narrative driven thing that you get in Hollywood or something was really interesting and I'd never seen that sort of stuff before and Kieslowski I just found so um it was there was particular film the double life of veronique which Mm. um have you seen it yes and it has this incredible poetry and it's so mysterious and you never really understand what these stories are about and everything suggested through through sort of these really beautiful images and uh and i was also transfixed by the sound of the polish i'd never really heard polish before and then um, i watched the film so many times i knew some of the dialogue off by heart even though i didn't speak polish so ended up studying it at uni Wow! And here I am. <laughs> and was it? Did it come quite naturally to no. you? No. <laughs> <laughs> it was really hard. It was really, really hard, wow. and I still struggle with it, and I'm still learning. Um, I spoke French. At, I did French and German at school through high school, and I was really good at them, and that was sort of effortless, which was sounds really annoying. I know to a lot of people who struggle with 
languages at school and I'd always just sat there, memorized it instantly, got an A, never had any problems. Yeah, got to uni, had to learn Polish. Not a thing worked. It was just horrible. Um, and, you know, because it's a Slavonic root, so the, the root is very different to oh, English. Yeah. So often the words don't have any relation at all to the English words. So it's very hard to remember and the grammar's different. Yeah. Wow. It's a struggle. But it's been worth it. <laughs> Good. And uh, do, you, do you find that um, working with translations has affected the way you write in English at all? Yeah, I think it has. I think um, there's two aspects, maybe. I think speaking other languages means I've seen a lot of work in countries outside the UK. I've seen, you know, I've seen work in Spain. I've seen work in France. I've seen work in Germany. I've seen work in Poland. I've seen work in Greece. And even though I don't speak some of those languages, I think... Um, that's broadened my horizons and you know the 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 kind of work that gets done i think particularly in in germany and poland is very different to the style the dominant style of work here so i think that's had an influence on me um and i think also cuz i'm in as a person i'm interested in how language works <coughs> and i used to teach english uh, english as a foreign language so i became very interested in um how people express themselves or don't express themselves and what's the role of language in that and how do you express yourself as a person if you don't have the words in the vocabulary of the foreign language and so that's something I've seen non-native speakers struggle with but it's also something I've done you know when I've been in Germany or France and had to try and express myself and I've only been able to say yes, it is big, <laughs> or something, and I wanted to say something much more insightful. Um, uh, you know, or, or like, you know, uh, when you can't crack a joke in a foreign language, and that's quite, it's quite important to me, I'm quite a sort of jokey person, I like to make jokes, and when I can't do that, I think that has a effect on my personality, and that's quite interesting. So I think those are some of the things. Yes, and do you find me, because something... Uh, I've probably come, my experience with it is more in poetry, but come across these weird translation gaps where mm. um, it, it's a bit like what you're talking about, I guess, in those, that um, being bound in some way in your ability to communicate, but where a translator is maybe, that a word is untranslatable or a sentiment mm. is untranslatable. And it seems like for translators, I've spoken to you that it's often a, a creative solution that has to be found to those sort of bridging those gaps. And have you found that with your translation work? Definitely. I, I mean, I think poetry is maybe, you know, poetry is seen as the most challenging form of translation because it's so concentrated and every word carries so much. Both it carries rhythm, it carries levels of meaning, it carries colour, it carries associations um, in this incredibly condensed way. That, that say a novel or, or even a text, a play text doesn't do, I think, in the same way. So um, I'm sure there are m the challenges are greater for, for poetry. Um, but what I think is that this word untranslatable is such a curse in a way, because in some way it's just a challenge to say, mm. maybe it's not about saying it's untranslatable, it's about saying what are the issues, what's the problems, what have we got to overcome? And I think the 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 greater the challenge, the more creative the strategy has to be to, to deal with it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I've translated texts where it's relatively straightforward. And it's just, you have to find a way of 
getting the flavor of the line across and you have to make changes but you can do that and i've read i've translated or tried to translate plays where the differences the cultural differences are so great or or the play is addressing a very specific culture um that it can be really difficult to to keep the power of that for which for a uk audience you know who are very coming from mm. a very different place culturally so yeah i did this workshop with uh, pavel dimirski who's one of the um yeah one of the big polish names at the moment this kind of sort of 30 something year old uh playwright who's he wanted to be a war journalist and he became a playwright instead yeah um, and he writes <laughs> this very sort of um iconoclastic political um stuff and he just he just aims to not just he really wants to provoke people and shock and outrage and he was really disappointed with the play we worked on because people didn't leave the theater in droves and they sort of seemed to like it and he was quite upset by that um so we had this strategy to translate it where um we were we were going to rewrite it the two of us entirely for a uk audience so instead of trying to make the jokes work and the insults work for a uk audience we would we would just translate it totally again and have the because the characters address the audience throughout so we would just we were going to rewrite it as for the characters addressing a uk audience instead of a polish audience and try and try and sort of play with national stereotypes and you know find what was most sacred to us as a british audience and attack that so that was our strategy ah interesting yeah and so that that was going to be one of my other questions is do you when they're alive do you work a lot with um the actual playwright where Definitely. possible of the yeah. play you're translating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it depends on the playwright because, you know, there are some playwrights that are very open. Like Pavo is one of the most open, uh, non-protective writers I've ever met. And he doesn't care what you do to his work. I mean, almost without exception. Um, he's very up for changing things and altering this. And yeah, do that. Yeah, do that. And obviously there are other writers who who will say very carefully... I want this line to be like this, you know, and it's so I think it depends on the individual writer. But if they're around, there's no better resource mm. for a translator than to ask them, you know, you know, on page 17 <laughs> where the character says, blah, what does that mean? And often, you know, sometimes, yeah, the way they the way they explain it is really valuable. And sometimes they look at it and they go, no, that's rubbish, isn't it? I'll rewrite the line. And, then, and you know, so. Have you had your plays translated into other languages or have you translated your plays into other I languages? I couldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't translate my own plays because it would mm. sound weird. I think, I think it, we always, yeah, I think it's always best if a native speaker does the translation. Um, I've had a scene translated into Catalan when I did a workshop in Barcelona um, and half of Cherry Blossom was translated into Polish. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. And was that it? strange or interesting experience was it exciting oh and japanese one oh. day all this what comes from nothing was translated into wow. japanese and performed in japan yeah um was it strange japanese was weird because i don't speak it at all and so we, i went out and i watched the entire play in a language that's so alien to my own um but yet it was so familiar to me because i'd made it i'd written all the words so that was a really strange feeling um and yeah, Catalan was great because I, I don't speak any Catalan, but I, you know, I sort of speak French and have a little bit of Spanish. So I sort of knew roughly what they were saying. And that was lovely. Uh, I just read one day, all oh, this will mm -hmm. come to nothing. So I, had, I hadn't seen it, sadly. I'd, I'd love to see it. It's amazing. 
And it really struck me as such a moving play full of grief and mm. a kind of like a scream in the night and very, very powerful and honed. And I was just wondering if it, did it come out like that? Did it go through a lot of editing to get to the way it was? I, I don't, I think it mostly came out like that. Mm. It wasn't so edited. It, it, it was condensed. I think the first draft was quite long. And then when we had a read through and then also in rehearsal, I was sort of salami slicing it, you know, so I would take out a line here, a line there, but not loads. Mm. Yeah. So it, I think it more or less came out the way it is. That's great. And when you write, do you tend to get, does it come out in a big gush or does it come out in little bits and bobs? Does it depend on the project? Yeah, I think it really depends on the project. And I feel that each project I've done, I've written in a totally different way. Oh. I think I, I am quite instinctive. So I will just sit down and blurb it all out um, and and that works quite well for me um, I do find that you get into a sort of train of things and even if it's really difficult to start if you just start somewhere um, then I find the rest of it comes and you know it might be that you've got to write 500 words that are awful but then you get a good idea or then it starts coming together um, and then you finish it you know you finish your day's writing with something you quite like um, yeah, although I think recently also I've, I've been trying to structure things more and think more, um, what's the word, the, uh, cerebrally or intellectually about, okay, where's, you know, where's this place starting and where's it going and, and what's, you know, what's going to happen and where's my conflict and all this stuff I teach the script kids. <laughs> um, so I think it's good to balance the two, you know, and to have, have your kind of skeleton and roughly know which bits slotting into what, but also to give yourself that freedom to, to just sit down and write a thousand words and mm. see what comes out and then sew it all together. Yeah, because I've been to so many sort of writing workshops and things where people, writers themselves say, oh, you're one way or the other. You're either a plotter or you're, mm. a, you know, the, I think instinctive is a good word. You know, someone who just it flows out a few bit by bit and you figure out the structure at the end. But I, I think that... That's quite interesting what you're saying about maybe it's finding a balance between those two that all writers probably, there's probably some scale, but all writers. Yeah, yeah. Where are you on the, yeah. on the plotting <laughs> spectrum? Um, and I think also a lot of writers who, who say that they do it totally instinctively have an innate understanding of what dramatic form and structure is. So they might say, you know, like Pinter says this, oh, I just sat down and wrote it. You're like, yeah, of course, you know, you just just came out. And I'm sure it did. But, you know, the man was an actor and a genius. And so I think the two of them give gave him this fundamental understanding of what drama was. And then you, probably you can just sit down and splurge it all out. Um, I I think also when I started, I very much felt like I don't need to I don't need I don't want to study, you know, how it's done because I find that I can kill it sometimes, you know, to be to have too rigid a sense of this is my main character and then they want this and then the opposing force will be this and then in act 2 I'm going to take away the rug from under their feet and do the reversal of fortune and all this kind of thing and I think that can slightly kill off what you do it depends on the style you want to write in as well but on the other hand I think if you just write and write and write and write and write sort of from the heart 
then often it doesn't go anywhere. And you can have this collection of amazing work, you know, and words and images and stories, but it's it's not going anywhere. It's like this, you can't see the hand make gestures I'm making, but it's some <laughs> kind of soupy, misty, octopus-like. Octopus-like. Yes. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's a thing of beauty in itself, but it may not be the most successful form on the stage. Yes, yeah. And um, do you find that when you're working with young people it sounds like maybe that has fed back a bit um on your own writing processes do you find that useful sometimes Uh, you know to teach us to learn kind of thing yeah no definitely definitely Mm. um I mean I think the thing the thing I found with Scribble is that me myself as a 33 year old who's who's written a couple of scripts some of which were successful and some of which are totally not was that now i really appreciate having an intellectual understanding of dramatic form and structure and conflict and all the rest of it and that's been really really helpful for me the kids are less interested they kind of they just want to write because they have the stories that they want to tell and they're really interesting stories and for them it's quite nice i think not to be um bound by that and and adult writers I think tend to get very caught up in oh my god but you know am I using the three act structure properly and they want to know stuff and I I, maybe it's a kind of insecurity in some ways as well Um, and I think it can be really exciting to work with younger people who who just don't care and because they're so original they end up doing very interesting things with form and, and content and structure and storytelling because it's really coming straight out of them and it's not being filtered through this framework of how plays should work mm. or you know and and that's really refreshing and exciting to be around I think. And do you I was thinking again about this idea of translation and working with young people I hope this doesn't sound patronizing but do you, do you find that there's any kind of acts of translation that need to go on between you communicating with them or them communicating writing plays for potentially an adult audience or is it is it actually is that totally unnecessary is it just about them being empowered to be original and that that then is but do you mean do I have to translate the ideas I have so that they make sense for younger people yeah I guess so or do they just get it I think sometimes they're less interested maybe in some of the things I'm saying I don't know you have to ask (laughs) them um and and also you know because they are younger they Sometimes they may not have as fully developed an understanding of some psychological aspects as maybe an older person or, you know, some of the big kind of social, political, economic concepts might not be so apparent to them. Um, But, you know, I sort of encourage them to write the way they see it. And I think as long as it's coming fresh from them, then it's genuine. It's it's how they see the world. And that's what's really important. Um, I'm not quite sure that's what. Yeah, no yeah, no, that's or perfect. Or yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. The only and the only other thing is, um, yeah, how their iPhones work. Ah. Any, anything involving <laughs> technology, they're just like, oh, you have to do it like this. And I stand there going, I don't know where to plug it in. And they sort of look at me with great pity. Oh. Um, yeah, so that needs some translation. But, you know, that's how it is. Oh, fantastic. Oh, well, that has been just wonderful having you with us today. Thank you for having Um, me. I hope to get to see some of your work soon. Yes, so do I. Yeah, that would be great. And I'd love to see um, one of your plays in Japanese, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can send you the script. Um, 
it's been just a real pleasure talking oh, with you. So thank you chat. so Thanks, much. Jennifer. And thank you, everyone, for joining us for another Travcast. And please join us again for the next one. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from the Traverse Theatre Edinburgh. For more information, please log on to www.traverse.co.uk.